Good morning. Takes a lot of talent using hands, lips, breath, and not uh, being so nervous that you can blow on that thing, right? Praise the Lord for uh, our instrumentalists and choir and everybody. We, we thank you all for last week. What a blessing that was to us as a church family. Appreciate that. Would like to welcome you here and... Uh, Let's have a word of prayer, and then we have one little matter of business that we have to take care of this time of year. Let's pray. Great God, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, um, what a blessing it is to be in this season of the year. But Lord, it reminds us that we should celebrate what you did for us every day, and especially on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, to remember, Lord, the price that was paid, for redemption plan, Lord, for the consummation of the ages, Lord, for the dawning of a new day, for your creation power to save souls, to make us alive, that we're dead in trespasses and sins. And we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for grace. Just pray, Lord, that during this time uh, that we would reflect, we would be thankful people for what you did, for your broken body and blood shed as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And for those who may not know you, Lord, we pray that your spirit would begin to convict them of sin and their need for grace. And may they be changed by your grace. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Lord, just pray your blessings on our time together, and, and we seek to glorify and honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just the other night, on Wednesday, we had a... Uh, Discussion time for our 2023 budget, and so with, for lack of times to be able to pull everybody together, uh, we're not discussing our budget this morning, so we consider ourselves in a time of conference. We're just affirming the budget. So if you skip the meeting, you must be in full agreement that everything is fine, amen? But I, I would note, wow, okay, I'm glad I've got my progressive zone, there's no way... <laughs> But those are just general things given to you, and so there was hardly really no discussion on the budget. Uh, just to tell you, really, our budget total did not change from last year. We felt it was needed uh, to think about how we could be really good stewards 
Uh, not that any ministry is going to suffer at all. It's just we moved some things around, cut back on things we did not spend. A um, couple of things to remind you of. We paid $1.2 million for the renovation. We owe nothing. Isn't that awesome? Um, we, uh, our building loan for the south part that we built years and years ago is down to $960,000. we are under a million. To God be the glory. Um, just in the month of December so far, with two weeks of giving, you gave nine.
sing glory, glory, amen, joy to the world. Well, we uh, pray that you're having a great Christmas season, and uh, thank you for worshiping with us today. If you're uh, with us for the uh, maybe the first or second time, we'd love to know who you are. So uh, please take one of these connection cards and fill that out and put that in the offering plate or take it to the Connection Center after the service. And, and our, obviously, everybody has an opportunity for a prayer request card, and we'll be faithful to uh, pray for those each, each and every week as a staff and, a, and pastors, okay? So please, please take advantage of that. Well, um, Joy to the World is one of our favorite Christmas carols, obviously. We're going to sing uh, probably all of our favorite Christmas, sacred Christmas carols. Nobody's going to get run over by a reindeer tonight, okay? But uh, but we, we're just going to come back together in here tonight at 5.30 and just sing through all of our uh, best love Christmas carols. So bring the whole family, and we won't be long, but we'll just have a great time of celebration and of singing favorite Christmas carols. So we hope you can come back and be a part of that uh, tonight. Well, let's continue with worship as we sing Good Christian Men Rejoice. Everybody just praising the Lord with me that uh, last week I had two, maybe two and a half notes I could sing. I'm up to three and a half today. I really, it's, it's a miracle. And the, we'll just call it the Christmas miracle of 2022. And uh, so hopefully uh, uh, I'll, I'll get stronger by tonight. Let's sing together. Um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. 
sorry, just a moment. I need to correct a problem that I should have solved before the service. That represents Advent 1 and 2. This has been bothering you for 20 minutes now, hasn't it? Sorry. I'm very sorry. All right. Um, we, uh, we've got a special uh, video today. Uh, we show uh, videos recognizing missionaries around the world that the Southern Baptist Convention supports. And by your giving, every week when you give, you support international missionaries, whether you knew that or not, you do. Um, but it's a very, 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 very small percentage uh, when you give every week. But now when you give to the international missions offering, it goes totally to support our missionaries. And so uh, it's a very, very important offering. Uh, we wouldn't be able to have the missionaries we do around the world without this offering. So please be praying about what you can give this year. There's so much lostness in the world. There's so much the feeling of hopelessness and helplessness in the world. The answer for them is Christ. I was born in Malaysia in 1947. My family were idol worshippers. It was my duty, even though I was a boy, to serve the gods. And so without fail, every evening before we have our dinner, I would put jars in front of the idols. It was a big deal because we have idols for everything. My high school teacher invited me to an evangelistic meeting. That was the first time I heard about Christ. I heard that I was a sinner and coming from my background, I felt that I was pretty good, you know. And then one night, I believe it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit, a thought came to my mind, and which said to me, if this God is true, the greatest sin in my life would be to deny that. That really got hold of me. And uh, the Lord convicted me of my sin. I went to all my, the idols and I said, this is the last time that I'm going to serve you. I have found the true God. And that was it. <laughs> I felt called to the ministry. I studied at uh, Hong Kong Baptist Seminary, which is also started by Southern Baptists, <laughs> funded by Southern Baptists and staffed by Southern Baptists. Had it not been for the Lottie Moon offering, my life would have turned in a totally different direction. It's a gift that keeps on giving through the lives of people that are touched through the generosity of Southern Baptists. And I'm one of them by the grace of God. Would you bow with me? Lord God, we come before you now, and we just ask your blessing upon our tithes and our offerings and our extra offerings that help missionaries 
share the love of Jesus around the world that we support. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to call Don, uh, Don, Rod and Donna uh, Hanley to the stage right now. And they're going to share with us our third installment of our Advent reading. Good morning. Today we light the third candle, the candle of good news. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save his people from their sins. The angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. This great joy comes through his perfect sacrifice on the cross that paid the penalty for our sins. There is no greater good news than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Pray with me this morning. Our Father, thank you for your overwhelming love for us. We come before you this morning to thank you for the inexpressible gift and your perfect plan for salvation, Father. Today, as a congregation and as individuals, we join with the angels to give you glory. Glory in the highest for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Rod and Donna. All right. I'll call your attention to the word this morning. And let's look together in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Remember our thematic verse? Does anybody want to stand and quote it from memory? So I'm going to have to call on you. No, I'm not going to do that. 2 Corinthians 8, 
9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. So today our emphasis, we've talked about the glory of the Son of God, the King of glory, uh, before condescending to this earth, and then we talked about the wonder, and we marveled together in the incarnation of Christ last week. Today, it is fitting on the day that we partake of the Lord's Supper to talk about grace, isn't it? The grace of God. And so, 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, I think this is clear, it is concise, it is compelling. It's an awesome description of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why he came, right? Uh, Miss Patty sent me a quote this week from Dr. Stephen Lawson. And here's what he said. Jesus did not come to create a holiday. He was born to die for sinners. Amen. That's why we're here today. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So listen to the text. This is Paul in the pastoral epistles, speaking to Timothy, protege in the faith, the Bible says in verse 12 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, hear it, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And this leads Paul to one of his five trustworthy statements in 1 Timothy. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, king of the ages, immortal, invisible, The only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, it's highly possible that we could use metaphorical language to say that everyone, everybody has a life's song. Could we not say that? Years ago, I think it was Casting Crowns that brought forth the first one about uh, let my life song sing to you. Oh, I like that one. I'd ride down the truck beating on my steering wheel singing that. To the glory of the Lord, let my life, life's song sing. Well, some people's lives, especially if you hang around the, a Baptist church, are more like a funeral dirge. <laughs> Others may be more like a blues song. Others may be an upbeat, superficial kid's song. We even remember people by songs, don't we? George Jones, what comes to your mind? Oh, yeah. Fella stopped loving her that day, didn't he? Yeah. We think about, right. For me, when I think of Elvis Presley, you may think of a lot of different things, but I think of Blue Christmas. You know why? Because my first ever recording was with a little cassette in my grandmother's 
home under the tree, and I was eight years old, and I sang Blue Christmas. It was dandy. <laughs> it was just the best thing ever, right? But I think about Elvis when I think of Blue Christmas. However, the sweet melody of John Newton's Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me, is really the thematic song for all of us if you're saved, right? It is what should be your life's song. And keep in mind, as Paul gives this language to us, it is in the context of a doxology. Did you see it at the end? To the king of the ages. It's placed more like poetic language. It is a song. And this is Paul's life's song. There are several strings on the guitar of Paul's doxology. Of this particular song of praise to God. And as we approach the Lord's Supper, just check it out. I thank him. That's how it starts. If the Lord's Supper does anything to you, it ought to help you to be a thankful person. Thankful to God. That's where we get the word Eucharist. It's from the Greek term Eucharisteo, which means to give thanks. On the day that he was betrayed, Jesus took that bread and broke it and said, This is my body that was broken for you. He gave thanks to the Father. So Paul is saying, Lord... Thank you that I'm in the service, that you have called me to serve you, and you've put me in the ministry. But it did not start at that point. It started with grace that was given to Paul. So thanksgiving is a string on the guitar, right? That's how he starts all of this is being thankful. But what is he most thankful for? Well, second, Paul was in need of grace. Okay? Paul was in need of grace. So, what does the text say? Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, or a violent aggressor, did you know that Paul, we might say, was the eminent of all apostles? But he also knew his eminent need for grace. Did he not? And he's telling us this today. Paul never forgets the fact that he needed grace. He spells out the magnitude of his own sins. You, you should see that as the dark black drop to the glory of the grace of God that actually reached Paul's life. And if we had time to read through Acts chapter 9, we would. That's Paul's conversion experience. But if you look in the Word of God, for instance, in the book of Acts, don't turn there, but let me just share with you what Paul actually says before Agrippa regarding his condition. Acts 26, listen, 9 through 11. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in the prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to make them blaspheme. And in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I could read at least three more of Paul's testimonies regarding who he was. Before Jesus Christ changed his life. I hope you understand how much you need grace today. And it, you don't have to be, you don't have to have even as dark as a backdrop 
in the background that Paul had to be included in this statement. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in this together. Not only did he blaspheme the precious name, uh, the name above every name, he also forced others to blaspheme his name as well. Although all the slander that he spewed forth against Christ was indeed blasphemy, he was also a persecutor. When they performed all these mock trials against Jesus, he was right there. Or against the ones that live for Christ, he was right there persecuting them. And it seems clear as you read Paul's testimony, uh, when he talks about his subsequent new creation life that he was given, he never forgets those he persecuted. Why? Because I think he understood when Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul thought he was persecuting people. But in reality, he was persecuting the Lord of glory. He was perse- so to persecute God's people is to persecute him, the Lord Jesus. Do you think that Stephen's picture was firmly fixed in his mind as Paul watched? As Paul and others held the cloaks of those who freed themselves up so they could throw the stones at Stephen and kill him. Do you think that was firmly fixed in Paul's mind? I'm sure the faces of the children whose moms and dads were taken to prison and the children were ripped and separated away from their moms and dads, I guess for sure that was indelibly etched in Paul's mind. So Jesus said to him, on three, uh, Paul tells us in three different occasions that, it, that Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? So there's no doubt that these memories laid heavy on his heart and mind. This last word is not attractive at all. It says that he was an insolent opponent. It means a violent aggressor. It means an insolent opponent. As a matter of fact, extra-biblical Greek literature at this time translates it an outrageous disregard for other men's rights. That kind of sounds like the U.S. today, right? We look at people in our society and we think they have no regard for human life. We see this as despicable in how they can just take life and trample over these rights without batting an eye. But that's the very word used for how Paul went against Christ and his church. He was a violent aggressor. He cared for no one but his own reputation. Do you know that Paul actually thought that he was following what was right? You know, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Paul followed the falsity of Judaism as a means. He thought that he was keeping the law and doing all he was supposed to do for his God by actually persecuting Christians. He was, however, a forgiven blasphemer. Are y'all listening? He was a forgiven persecutor. He was a forgiven, insolent oppressor. And so he's remembering his sin. I was all these things. But he's remembering that in light of the grace of God saving his soul. And this is important for us to think about. Even though it, his record of sin was blotted out in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Uh, even though his sins were buried in the sea of forgetfulness by Christ. And even as his sin was cast as far as the east is from the west, because he had been saved, Paul could say, but I used to be this way. Folks, I think it is healthy for us to remember what we used to be in our life song. It's okay 
to say, although I was formerly a, and you fill in the blank. But Paul was not paralyzed by that guilt. Neither should we be paralyzed by that guilt. He knew that the finished work of Christ, which this represents for us, it is that Christ fully atoned for every one of our sins. If you're saved, and he could say, forgetting those things which lie behind, I press toward the mark. Paul was like, I know what I was. I know what I did. I know I was a rotten, good-for-nothing sinner. But the glorious thing is that God gave him great grace. Amazing grace. So we remember what we were. But we also are reminded of the greatness of God. And that's where Paul's going to transition here. But let me, again, remind you of the need for us to remember where God has taken us from. Vody Bauckham recently made this statement. I think it was Jesse that sent this to me. I, don't, I, I love for you guys to send me stuff, by the way. It's almost like you're trying to teach your pastor theology. And I'm good with that. I love it. When you send, now, if it's bad stuff, I just say, oh, but if it's good stuff, I'm like, wow, that's great stuff. But here's what Vody said. You can't have the memory of my sin. I won't let you take it. It reminds me of God's goodness to me. It reminds me of his grace in my life. It reminds me of where I never want to go again. It reminds me that his work in me may not be complete, but it is effectual. I'm not who I ought to be, but hallelujah, I am not who I was. Boy, that's good stuff. I want to remind you today as you come to the Lord's Supper table, it is a time of celebration. You have buried my sins. You've taken them and removed them. They're as far as the east is from the west. However, I'm reminded of what you saved me from. I'm reminded of what I used to be. So in thinking of the greatness of his grace, listen to what he said. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Listen to this, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed. It means it was super abundant toward me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And that leads him to give us that clear, concise, wonderful verse. This is a trustworthy statement that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So the greatness of his grace. I want to remind you that when we minimize our sin, we, we actually minimize the grace of God toward us. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what that means to me in my layperson country boy English? It means this. God's grace is so much greater than my sin, meaning that he's a much greater savior than I am a sinner. And that's, that's glorious news. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is a direct correlation between our perception of our own sins and our perception of God's grace. We dare not make grace less than amazing. Amazing grace came to us when we were dead rebels against God and his Christ. Watch how the text moves. But I received mercy. Don't you love the but I or the but gods in scripture that reminds us of what's going on in the text? God's justice demanded Paul's condemnation. Yet God gave him mercy. That's true of you, folks. God's justice demanded your condemnation. But God gave you mercy if you are saved. It's not that ignorance, the way Paul says it, and unbelief made Paul worthy of grace and mercy. 
Ignorance and unbelief make a person salvageable. That's what it does. They put us in a position to receive mercy. Paul told Agrippa that he was actually serving God with a clear conscience, conscience even as he hunted believers. He thought he was doing God a favor. And he could even say to his own countrymen after he's saved, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So they think they can earn their own righteousness by hating Christians, but it was all ignorance. It all stemmed from unbelief. And now verse 14, look how this goes. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So this overflowing grace for me with faith and love that are in Christ. And I, I know that there's dynamics that are always working when we think about I gave the faith and God gave the grace and we mutually agreed to one another. He reached his hand down, I reached my hand up and everything is okay. Well folks, you need to read the scripture as the scripture is written. And this tells us that faith and love are first in Christ. Faith is a gift from God. So they're first in Him. But where there is great sin, there can be great grace. And for us today, folks, that ought to be great news. When this superabundant grace came to Paul, it gave him faith and love. When Paul was an object of grace on the road to Damascus, God put Himself, God Himself went in changed Paul and gave him faith and love. What a contrast from opposing and having hatred to faith and love. It's only the grace of God alone that can do this, folks. It's only God's grace that can do this. This, this talk about abundant grace leads Paul to one of those trustworthy statements, a faithful saying. And this is the gospel of grace, isn't it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, where did Paul get that idea? Possibly he got it from Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Maybe he got it from Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. For Paul, this is the encapsulation of of the gospel message, and it's a gospel of grace. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, when I was growing up, uh, people, didn't need, uh, people did not need this word saved to be defined. Y'all think that's different today? I mean, 40 years ago, when you said, I got saved, I'm not sure Jimmy Carter knew exactly what born again means. Maybe he did. And for some of you that are much older, you know what I mean. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, saved back then did not have to be defined as much as it is today. Now people wonder why God would save and not invest. They have no idea what it means to be saved. Folks, let's stop and ask the question at Christmas season, what is it to be saved? Is that not a good question? This means yes, this means right? Come on. Is that not a really, really good question? Because you're in a church that preaches that you're saved by grace through faith alone in the person of Christ alone, right? So what is salvation? What is it to be saved? If Christmas is Christ coming into the world to save sinners, we certainly need to know what it means to be saved. The word in its root means to be rescued from danger. 
It means to be delivered from the penalty of sin. Let's just fall upon your ear. Delivered from danger. Rescued from the penalty of sin. It means to be delivered from the penalty of sin. It is to be delivered from the power of sin. Hallelujah. It is to be freed from the wrath of God. Oh, we forget this, don't we? With all the sentimentality surrounding the creche or the birthplace, we forget he came into the world and was born not to create a holiday, but to save sinners. Why? Because the wrath of God had gone out against all mankind. And the only, the only way mankind can be saved is the wrath of God is turned away. And that's what the Son of God did for us. To be saved is to have a righteousness not of your own, but one imputed to us through Christ. He takes away your guilt and he imputes you with righteousness. It means to be freed from the power of sin and to have a relationship with God. To, save, to be saved means we have fellowship with God. Isn't that sweet? To be saved means we have a love for God. Love not the world nor the things of the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. To be saved means we have a love for God. To be saved means we have eternal life with God. To be saved means we will not have to undergo the torments of eternal punishment in hell. To be saved means that we get to enjoy the bliss of heaven forever. I like the word saved. Don't you? Might sound old-fashioned, but I like saying I'm saved. I've been saved. I'm being saved. Conformed to the image of Christ as much as this side of heaven is possible without my stupidity. And I will be saved. Future glorification. I like saying that. Here's the catch of all of this. This great revelation is for sinners only. It's for sinners only. This business of Jesus Christ coming into the world to save only applies to sinners. Remember Jesus' words? <laughs> you think you're okay, but I'm telling you, only the ones who know they're sinners need a physician. Only the ones who know they're sick will say, bring a doctor. Right? So if you sit here today and think to yourselves, well, I'm a pretty good American guy. I hold down a good job. I don't cheat on my spouse. I'm a good parent. I'm not sure I like singing a wretch like me because I don't identify too well with that S word, sinner. But if you refuse to believe that you fit into the category of a sinner, then verse 15 cannot be for you. If you continue to believe in your own self-righteousness and pride that you can stand before the Lord and get in on your own merits, then that verse is not for you. Paul adds here a most astonishing statement. The Old, Test the old KJV says, among whom I am chief. Paul says, I am the foremost sinner. And he says this, and not in the past tense, but in the present tense. He still understood himself to be a sinner. And yet God justified him and made him righteous in spite of his sin. That's what God did for him. So if you think you're beyond the mercy of God, hear this. God chose to take the chief persecutor of the church and make him into the greatest missionary who ever lived in the church. And he did this to show his patience and his love so that he can beckon sinners to come to him for eternal life. No matter who you are, what you've done, these words are worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Here's what the grace of God does. 
When the grace of God comes into your life through Jesus Christ, it levels you. You will never be the same. It is grace, as John Newton said, that taught my heart to fear. Without grace, you will never fear God. And John Newton knew something way more than most Baptists know, and that was 400-something years ago. Unless you're taught by the grace of God, you will never know your need for Jesus. So grace shows us that we're sinners. We have tasted the grace of God. We can join Paul and say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. We can't begin to think or even let it enter into our mouths. Well, I'm not as bad as grace helps us put within us a view of ourselves in which we have no false perception. Grace comes to us and gives us complete satisfaction in the gospel. There's the world out there that says you just need a crutch. Yes, I sure do. Why? Because I'm a good-for-nothing, rotten sinner, and without the grace of God, I would still be lost. Call it whatever you want to call it. I love the gospel message. Amen? Amen. Because it's for sinners. Here's a trustworthy statement. Paraphrasing, Paul. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest one. And that's true for all of us. I had a broken life and a sinful life, but there's a fix for your broken life, folks. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any other kind of reformation won't do it. If you clean yourself up on your own and turn over another leaf, if you do all these things and go through all this reform, but you've never identified with the fact that you're a sinner and put your faith and trust in Christ, all this reform on earth will only be reform on earth and will not have any benefit whatsoever to life in the future. It will mean nothing. Here's a trustworthy statement. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I want to offer you something today that truly does heal. That truly does forgive. That truly does cleanse. Though your sins be as scarlet, yet they shall be white like snow. With that gospel message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, I am completely content and satisfied in that. You know why? Because it's true. It is the word of God. So I invite you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flow lose all their guilty stains. Another verse, verse 4 says, Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. So what's your favorite Christmas song? Here comes Santa Claus. What is it? Grandma got run over by a reindeer. You know, those things are fun. But spiritually speaking, is there any greater song than the grace of God being so amazing that it could save a wretch like you? Again, he didn't come into this world to create a holiday. Came to save sinners like us. And here's what I'll tell you. I'm the biggest one. Stand in line behind me. I'm with Paul. I'm the biggest one. Aren't we, we, we should be so thankful for the grace of God. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, the Bible says he took that bread. Look, think about this. If you're thinking biblically, what is he doing? He's celebrating the Passover, which they had done for millenniums. But on that night, it was different. 
Jesus actually reinterpreted the elements. When he's holding the bread, it's no longer manna from heaven that fed the Israelites. It was him being the bread of life that was broken for them. When he held that cup, it was no longer the manifold, incredible amount of repetitive sacrifices that were given for years and years and years that could never atone for sin. He was telling them that that lamb in the middle of this table as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that roasted lamb, I'm the lamb. I'm the Passover lamb. It's my body that will be broken, my perfect body, right? The one that I'll be crucified in, the one I was born in, crucified in, buried in, coming back in, although glorified. Wow. That's what's going on there. So as you partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, think about that. He that knew no sin became sin for you, that the very righteousness of God might be in you. Think about that. Think about the new covenant. As you raise that cup, think about them drinking that wine and it being a reminder of the blood that was shed. For them, they didn't fully understand because it was a day or so before. But for us, we know clearly what's going on. All right, I invite our servers to come forward and let's participate in the Lord's Supper. We'll tell you that if you know Jesus as your Lord and you've trusted him, then we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. All right, before we distribute the bread, Chris McGee is going to pray for us. Let's, let's bow to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, our great almighty God, God of all creation, before time even begin, and we just thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious God. Because as we think, who is man that you are mindful of us? The son of man that you care for us. That you, for our sake, will make him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God. And we just come to you, Lord, just as we think about that grace, that your body was broken even at 12 years old, as he went to the Passover with his parents, Jesus stared at the lamb that was shed, and knowing at that age that that was him in the future. And even in the night before, as he handed out to the disciples, that he was obedient to the Father, that he would give his body for us. We just come before you, Lord, and all we can say is thank you for that grace that salvation that you brought to our to our your people as you came into this world to save sinners we just thank you in Jesus name amen
again. The Bible says on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had blessed it and broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body that was broken for you. The Bible says in like manner he took the cup, a common cup, right? Passed it around. They all drank from the same cup, thinking of the commonality of the new covenant shed in his blood that saves all that come to Christ, right? We praise the Lord for it. Brother Andy, let's pray together. Father God, as we come today to remember and reflect on the, uh, the shed blood of Jesus, we're reminded that in the Old Testament, blood is the, the representative sign of life. And even in the garden, Lord, we know that uh, life had to be given. Blood had to be shed to cover sin and shame. For millennia, generation after generation, animal after animal, millions of them, uh, their blood were shed to cover sin. But we know that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. Only the, the precious blood of Jesus Christ can take away sin. The voluntary Love, sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God can only take away sin. So this time of year, as we, as we remember and reflect on uh, the incarnation, may we marvel and wonder at the manger. But Lord, we also know that as the star shone above the manger, it created a shadow, and the shadow was the shape of a cross. And the whole purpose of the incarnation Father was to provide a perfect blood sacrifice to take away our sins for all time. There's only one word to describe that, and that is grace. The grace and love of God that in the fullness of time, while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly to pay our sin debt. It was canceled. It was paid in full. The consequences of our sin were imputed to Christ, and his perfect righteousness was imputed to us. It is that truth that we want to live that we want to proclaim, and that we want to praise you for. And we do so in remembrance and reflection today of that. Amen. Hallelujah.
we call this the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Because when you hold up this cup, it's a symbolic representation that you've been forgiven. Boy, that's the crown jewel of the gospel, isn't it? We've been forgiven. Take and drink. All right, Brother David's going to come and we're going to sing. That is, not, is that not the most appropriate thing to do? Right, let's sing together. In Brother Philip's message, he brought to us uh, verses 12 through 17. And 17 says exactly what we want to do just now. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So this song will start in the cradle, but it will end with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, High and exalted, King of kings, Lord of lords. You sing it with us, okay? In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels. 
seated just for a moment, uh, thinking back that this is a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We don't make him Lord. He's already Lord. My call to you is, do you need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you need to believe the gospel? Did it resonate in your heart and spirit and mind that yes, Jesus Christ came to save sinners and that's me. I'm a sinner, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you respond? Amen. And also for the invitation, I know I've got a couple of families that want to unite with this church. Let's give them the opportunity to do that. Let's stand to our feet and sing a hymn of invitation. Repent and believe the gospel today. Humbly to the earth you came, born into this world to stay. God with us, Emmanuel. 
Mr. Bob and Miss Becky Ford, and uh, they've been visiting our church for quite some time. They had the blessing and privilege of getting to know them. I think they've already been in a Sunday school class, a Scots class, and getting to know people. But they both know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They've both followed in believer's baptism. They'll be coming to us by transfer of letter from a sister Southern Baptist church. So I introduce to you Mr. Bob and Miss Becky Ford. Amen. All right. Jonathan and Karen Wallander, all right, uh, outstanding young couple. Uh, if you want to hear an awesome testimony, just stiff arm these two, and they don't mind telling you about what God has done in their lives. So I rejoice with them. They'll be coming to us by statement of faith. They both trusted Christ. They both followed believers' baptism, and thus they are wanting to unite with FBCO and church membership. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. God is good to us. All right. I had to go back there toward Don, and uh, we'll greet y'all going out, okay? All right, uh, please come back tonight if you want to sing the oldies but goodies, all right? And some new, I'm sure, Christmas hymns put in there. Uh, anything we've missed, David? All right, God bless you. Next Sunday, we'll come in, and Lord willing, we'll have all three red candles lit, amen? <laughs> I was like David, I was sitting there thinking, during this video, I'm just going to go up there and get that thing, but he got it, so... So we're going to light the Christ candle in the center. Uh, what an awesome thing to light it on, on the day that we celebrate Christmas, on the 25th. So uh, we'll have a, a sermon. won't be real long. So if you hadn't opened your Christmas presents, we'll, we'll get you home. But I promise you I'll tell you about a better gift than what you can get under the tree. All right? So I hope you'll come back uh, next week. God bless each one of you. God bless you. See you tonight.